We have a center field preview to come, as well as some general news around the league on today's episode of Locked On Guardians. You are Locked On Guardians, your daily podcast on the Cleveland Guardians, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lockdown Guardians. I am one of your hosts, Jeff Ellis. I want to thank you for making Lockdown Guardians your first listen today and every day, wherever it is that you might get podcasts. Uh, As for myself, I've done a lot of baseball writing, mostly about the draft and uh, prospects through... I was once a national guy over at uh, Scout and 24-7 and then on many a Cleveland sports blog. Justin, let them know about you. Yes, I'm Justin Latta of... Going strong two months on the podcast, co-hosting with you. And you can currently find me at GuardiansBaseballInsider.com and Prospects Live and the News Herald and the Morning Journal. And in the past, you may have read me other places where they do good work and still exist. I didn't I didn't ruin the reputation, so that's good. Yeah, we won't talk about the sites whose reputation you did ruin. I'm kidding. There aren't <laughs> any of those places. There are, but... there are some. There might be some. Um <laughs> On today's show, let's let's start off with the Hall of Fame chatter, everyone's favorite topic. Uh, we're going to keep it short and sweet. I just wanted to point out that Mike Napoli and Johnny Peralta are both candidates. Uh, I would bet the house that neither of them will be on the ballot at the end of this year. Uh, but I do appreciate what both of them did in their time here. And Peralta in particular probably has a better career than most people remember. Yes, I, I did enjoy Johnny Peralta. I think he got uh, some unfortunate timing replacing... A fan favorite, Marviscal. Yeah, they got caught there. You know, not a not a defensive whiz at shortstop, but fine. And some good years offensively. One of the better offensive shortstops Cleveland had up until uh, Francisco Lindor, truthfully. So that was fun. I, I think that some people might vote for Mike Napoli just out of, you know, there's always like certain guys in the ballot that they're not going to get in. But like somebody somewhere ends up like casting a vote for him. A guy that shouldn't get a like really isn't going to get in. Like, I'm sure somebody's going to vote for Matt Kane or um, something like that, or, or Tory Hunter. I don't know. There's those guys will get like a vote for some reason, and sometimes that happens. But Mike Napoli was uh, obviously here for a very exciting year in Cleveland history, and um, has a place in every every Cleveland fan's heart for that 2016 run and the T-shirts and all that good stuff. The first 30 home run hitter since Grady Sizemore. Like they had that gap. And I was, I wrote about this many times when I was at a Indians prospect insider that, you know, they just, they could not get a 30 home run hitter to save them their lives. Now you're Napoli and Santana both hit 30, but they hadn't had a 30 home run hitter since Santana and they hadn't had, or since Grady Sizemore and they hadn't had a right-handed one since like early 2000. So (laughs) it was an accomplishment on multiple levels. I can't remember who it was, but it, it was uh, quite a run of futility. Uh, other news, former friend alert, as I like to call her on the show, Gio Urshela traded. Uh, you and I discussed it yesterday. We ran out of time. I think the greatest humor about it is Urshela has turned into a bat-only prospect, uh, which is the complete opposite of what we heard about him. But like most metrics don't like Urshela. Uh, for the Angels, it was extremely low cost for a rental. Um they have a very shallow system. They trade the 15th rated prospect. That's that's pretty low cost. 
Uh, for the twins, I just viewed it as saving money so they can so consolidate and make sure they can get uh, a shortstop on this market. Uh, any thoughts, takes, comments, feelings on Urshila? I, I was definitely a bigger Urshela guy in the minors in terms of his glove. Like, I remember when he started, he started out was not a great defender, and then he got the reputation of being a good defender in the minors. Um, but one of the things I just enjoy is and I've never been against Johnny Perard and Johnny Peralta. I've never been against Gio Urshela, personally. I think he's a, a great guy and, and a good story, but uh, so overblown that everyone's like, oh, Cleveland missed on this guy. If you look at his offensive numbers, uh, 2019 was such an aberration. Like, he had a good year in 2019. He had a you know a good 2020 because 2020 was a weird year. But those years, that was just such an outlier in terms of his performance. He was solid this year, again. Kind of a nice rebound. Yeah. Thing. But, like, especially in Cleveland, where was he going to play? Like, that's the thing. Like, everyone's like, oh, yeah. this is a guy they definitely missed on, and the Yankees made him better. It's like, yeah, but he's really gone on to be a pretty average player. He hasn't been anything. Like, he's been fine, and you need those guys in the roster. Don't get me wrong, but it's like um, – it's not one of the guys Cleveland missed on. I think it was definitely kind of an aberration. And I always take issue with the fact that people are like, you know, how did Cleveland miss on this guy? How do they give up on him? And it's like, okay, Cleveland – designated him for assignment. The tr Toronto grabbed him, didn't do anything with him, designated him. The Yankees picked him up, didn't do anything with him, designated him. He cleared waivers. They had him back in the system. They helped him with some hitting mechanics. He had that good year. And then he kind of, you know, settled in as like an average hitter who, like you said, defensive metrics don't really love him specifically. Um, also above average defensive runs saved. Uh, we'll, we'll get into a future episode of some of those statistics. I know people are like, oh, I hate when you use statistics. We don't understand or I don't know. We'll definitely do an episode on that in the future. Um, but just know for those things, like zero is the baseline for that stuff. And I think outs above average is range. It takes into account range, right? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, because it also has like your jump time. It's, it's, it's the plays you should be expected to get to as well. Yeah, and he's he's a clear negative there. So he's definitely he definitely hurt the twins on defense according to that metric. And defensive metrics are sketchy. Like there's a lot of internal teams who may have or teams that have internal metrics that grade differently that are probably better than the external metrics. But uh what we know externally is that the metrics don't love his defense. And like Jeff said, he is uh, uh kind of a better bat than he is glove these days, metrically speaking, and he's a fine player and he'll be a good fit for um the Angels. I think it's funny that the Twins, like you said, free up some money to bring back Carlos Correa, and they brought in Kyle Farmer, which I thought was funny as part of their trade, too. But, uh, yeah, Gio Urshela, definitely not a, a big swing in the mess for Cleveland. I think the people, a lot of people unnecessarily got up in arms about that one for a flash in the pan offensive performance. Yeah, I, I think, the to me, the biggest point is the Yankees cut him as well. They just got lucky. Um, mm -hmm. He stayed. Yeah. State, and that's that's all it is it's they haven't had too much you know we talked about like the biggest swings and misses and it's like yeah i mean i would argue he's a bigger swing and miss than jesus aguilar who we still hear about because mm -hmm. aguilar was like legitimately dude has had like a year and a half that was good at least urshila had like two three solid years but yeah I, I don't think it's something you get all that upset or invested in um we're going to take our first break here. We're going to come back and talk about center field, a place that many fans have gotten very upset about over the past season on today's episode of Lockdown Guardians. But first, a quick word from our sponsors 
over at our good friends at Bet Online. Bet Online, they have you covered. I'm going to I'm going to skip the ad read. I'm going to go right to the website. I'm going to hope that they don't have an autoplay video because sometimes that happens. And I want to look at the sports lines. I want to just discuss right now what things are looking like in terms of baseball and baseball uh, futures. That's what's serious. Let's look at free agency. So right now I want to go to Aaron Judge. Still, if he's not going to the Yankees, Giants are still the favorites. In spite of everything going on with the Dodgers, if you listen to the news, He's meeting with the Giants tomorrow. And uh, let's see, do you have their move? The, uh, the Guardians have been removed from, nope, they're still there. I lied. They are tied with the Orioles, so they're still listed. Carlos Correa, Cubs are still one over the Twins. Uh, Dansby Swanson, Giants, if he doesn't go back to the Braves, Braves are off the table. Jacob deGrom, if not the Mets, it's the Texas Rangers who have moved into the lead in that possession. And Justin Verlander, if you're reading the news, if it is not the Astros, it is the Mets. If you want some great information, if you want to see things that are trying to predict the future, you know, if you think these odds are good, hey, go take advantage of them. If that's not your thing, still go check out Bet Online. It's full of information that'll help you be a better, more knowledgeable fan. Bet Online, check them out today. Okay, center field, uh, hot take: the Guardians aren't going to. Miles Straw is their center fielder for all of next year and probably the year after that. Uh, somebody, listen, you and I were ahead of the game on Will Brennan. Like, we were two of the forefront people discussing him when he was not getting as much discussion. We like him plenty. He's not replacing Miles Straw at opening day. They spent two years trying to acquire Miles Straw, he won a gold glove. Up the middle defense is more valuable to this organization. Listen, Straw wasn't as bad as Hedges. Uh, catcher, center field, those are positions they will go for defense over offense and almost punt it away. And Straw had a very weird year. For a guy with his speed, his bat hip was at a career low. Everything was bad. Uh, his you know, steamer projection has him with a bounce back. Though steamer has everyone overperforming. So I like, I mean, for the for crying out loud, they're saying Pablo Sandoval with an 84 projection at Steamer with runs created plus something is off with Steamer. I mean, <laughs> <coughs> Mike Capriz at a 103 who's never played above double A. I know you like him, but that's a little bit aggressive to say uh, that a guy who's been a double A player uh, would be at a 103. John Kenzie Noel at a 110. I mean, that feels, I, I don't, I think he's a really interesting prospect with his swing and miss. I know it improved in the second half, but I'm not projecting him as average. So Steamer, I wouldn't dive. Let me just put it this way. I don't trust Steamer either way right now. I normally like Steamer. I wouldn't go anywhere near it. Uh, I still think Straw is massively in for a rebound. Uh, am I insane? Do you think there's any chance that anyone other than Miles Straw, barring injury, is the opening day center fielder? Yeah, no. Barring injury and barring just any offer where Cleveland gets steamrolled by another team in terms of trades. Uh, no. I mean, I. the thing is, like, Miles Straw's contract is not – and Albatross by any means for a, because he is still 27 years old. I mean, he just turned 28 last month. Uh, he'll play all next season at 28. The defensive value is still there. The speed is still there. If you look at uh, Savant sprint speed, 94, I feel like when the sprint speed starts to go down is when a player is probably going to start hitting a decline phase. Cause I think usually speeds the first tool to go. Um, so he's, he's going to be just fine. And, you know, is he going to be, 
an above average regular offensively, you know, probably not. Probably not going to be a guy that, that gives you a, a, a 110, 120 way to run to create a plus, where again, 100 is average as compared to the rest of the league's output offensively. Um, when he got to Cleveland last year and they traded for him, he had a 108 way to run to create a plus. He hit 285, got on base at a 362 clip. Do is he that good? Probably not. He's probably he's probably not that good of, of a player um, based on those numbers. But I don't think he's as bad as his numbers suggest this year. I think he he fell into a bit of a funk uh, approach wise, and I think he was trying to hit his way out of it versus letting things just kind of develop naturally and see how he can work his way out of it. So, you know, the truth is always somewhere in the middle. Like he was uh, overall last season, he had a 97 weighted runs created plus this year, 64. So let's say, you know, something in the high eighties, 87, 88. Is that great? It's not great. No, but when you combine that with his defensive value, um, it's, it, it's, you know, he was a three win player a year ago. I think that's about who he is. He's a three win player. And if he gets some things to break his way offensively, maybe he's a three and a half win player, and there's value in that. Yeah, I, for instance, even though um, Ahmed Rosario like was a towering hitter compared to him, they had nearly identical F wars because of uh, how good his defense was. What people basically need to realize is, you know, I'm going to st- keep going to this comp because I actually really like it. He is the center field version of early Omar Vizquel. That's what he is like in terms of the defensive run saved in terms of what he brings to the position. And in terms of like hit profile, go look what Omar did when he first came to Cleveland. Uh, that is what miles straw is. They have been targeting center field defense for a while. Oscar Mercado was more known for his defense and his offense when they went out and got him. Uh, Bradley Zimmer coming up was thought to be a potential elite level defender. They were, that's why they, I still think like, you know, when they had to trade an outfielder, they chose Zimmer over straw part or not Zimmer over straw Zimmer over Frazier because of that. I think there was some internal debate over which one they would push in that deal. Now they added him and they immediately gave him that contract knowing the risks because they believe in him and like him that much. Like this is the next hedges type of guy. I don't think he's going anywhere, but I also want to point out for a guy with great speed, his BAPIP last year was 261, which is below league average. His career BAPIP, even counting last year, and remember last year was the second most played appearance he's had in a season. His career was 301. So if all of a sudden you had 40 voting points, not voting points, batting points to his average and you know 40 to his on base, you're looking at you know a, a line that isn't as good as a year ago because the slugging is still non-existent. But Again, you're looking at closer to 90, which with his defense, I think we both agree, is very acceptable and enough to make him an above-average starter. Uh, you know, I was talking with writers I respect from other teams last offseason who were, like, trying to figure out trades to acquire Miles Straw from the Guardians because center field is hard to find. Uh, there's going to be a lot of teams. We are discussing this before we went on air. This outfield group isn't good. Last year's free agency, starters and outfielders were the first things gone. And that's why you're going to see Brandon Nimmo's name mentioned everywhere because there's just not a lot of great outfielders. And, um, you know, it's funny to say that if everything works out for Cleveland, they might be in a really advantageous position for midseason where they have someone to trade and teams have a need. Uh, we'll have to see how it plays out. But I'm fine with strong center field. And I'm always kind of surprised 
are you as surprised as I am that he's not like a folk hero after what happened with the Yankees? Like, why is he not like, he's got everything you seem to need. Instead, I got people calling him like hillbilly in my mentions and mad that he's going to play every day. I don't think he's, as far as I know, a hillbilly, but I thought that was weird. But like, <laughs> I, uh, I also don't get like, dude jumped into the stands to defend his teammate and threatened to fight Yankees fans. Why is he not a cult figure in Cleveland for that weekend alone for his defense of Stephen Kwan? I, yeah, I truly, I don't know uh, what you have to do there. I mean, he seemed fired enough about at least giving it back to the Yankees fans. I mean, he said what he said, the Yankees fans are the worst on earth or something, some kind of comment like that. Also, he's from California, so he's not like a, not that that matters where anybody's from, just, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> that seems a little silly to call him a hillbilly. That's a weird, that's a very odd insult, but, uh, He's from Orange County. County. Yeah, that's not a... Orange County is known for its hillbillies, isn't it? Isn't that what I... I couldn't tell you. That show, the OC, was all about hillbillies, right? (laughs) Never watched it, but I will take someone's word for it. it was. Um, Yeah, there's very little chance he's going to be moved at all. I will say the one thing about average on balls in play, too, when you're talking about uh, BABIP, is we know the players kind of make their own luck with that and speed is part of that so you're absolutely right that 261 is low for a guy with a lot of speed but you also have to take into account the quality of contact and and all that kind of stuff too because that obviously raises the profile and look the one thing straw does not do well is he doesn't hit the ball hard that is not part of his profile he has some of the worst exit velocities in all of baseball that's not his game i think he just got a little out of his game last season Um, he had some good months i mean look he hit 291 and April, he had a 365 OBP in September, so he kind of rebounded. Uh, same with October. I'm not sure what he did in the postseason, but uh, and he was he was playing well for a minute in the postseason. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah he, he's got to be there for the time being, and um, until they until someone forces him out of that spot, or they, you know, like I said, they have to be pulled over by a trade. The great thing is, like I said, this is not a contract that's going to sink them. He makes 5 million a year. Is that too much for a fourth outfielder? Yeah. You're not going to pay a fourth outfielder $5 million a year. Absolutely. Um, so as long as he's on the roster, he is going to be your starter in center field. As long as he can play defense in center field. And the other thing is they can live with the offense being like 10% below league average. As long as they shore up catcher, you can't have, just absolute zeros in your lineup at, three, at seven, eight, nine, right? You have to like, you could absorb one spot in the lineup being below average, and not not like a fifty or a sixty, but like ten percent below average. But you can't have seven, eight, nine. You have to short the other spots. So, Miles Straw's value to the team offensively is is probably going to look different if they can shore up the catcher spot in terms of offense, and maybe another spot. And um, I also will point out too that. Him hitting ninth is a great thing. When he came over here, he was a leadoff hitter. Now he's hitting ninth, which is more, you know, in tune with his skill set. He can take advantage of his speed in the ninth spot, and you're not making him the guy who has the most plate appearances for your team in a game either. So that's good. That's a good wraparound spot for him to be in. And just two quick points here as we kind of come up against segment two. Two, I only bring up Bapit because what we know historically, though, is it is consistent. Uh, for players, we do see consistency. So for him to have had a year that is, again, 
40 points below his average and his average is half of this year, which means his, his, he was probably before this year, he's probably like 60 points before where his BAPIP was for all of his previous seasons combined. So again, I think there's some coaching to be done. Helpful to have a full off season. I think some people forget about like the lockout and the effect of not getting, you know, a new coach, a new approach that could be an issue. And then I do want to point out too, everyone makes a huge deal about how close Ahmed and Jose are. Uh, by all accounts, Miles Straw might have been the second closest person to Jose on this team. Miles Straw said, stop negotiating with me. Go finish with Jose when they were doing that. He knew that was coming. And in, like him and Jose do things together in the offseason. Like, that was reported. I remember Zach uh, Meisel, who's, for my money, the best cover of the Guardians right now, talking, like someone asking early season, like what Ahmed was, uh, you know, I, I, I said there might have been a Freaky Friday scenario with Ahmed and uh, Miles when you look at the switch, because uh, Ahmed, people forget, was really horrible at the beginning, and then Straw became horrible. But like when people are like, well, what happens with Ahmed? Uh, you know, it's Jose's best friend. And Zach, like literally in an article said, well, he seems very close with Miles. Too. Like, I think the other thing you have to remember with Miles is, especially if Ahmed is nearing the end of his time here, um, Jose having one friend might be helpful. I mean, I think he gets along with a lot of people, but by all accounts, uh, he is an inner circle guy for Jose and for everyone. Like, I know we focus on Ahmed. Um, and again, by all accounts, a great dude, but he's at the last year of his contract. Miles Straw hasn't been here that long, but it seemed like from the drop, he became kind of one of those leaders in the clubhouse. Yeah, I'm not sure if I, I picked up on that, but I think you're absolutely right. I mean, he definitely is close to Jose, and I, I really wouldn't worry about that aspect. Cleveland or Jose was not, would not have taken less than what he can get on the open market to stay with Cleveland yeah. if he didn't trust what they're doing. So even if even if they moved on from Ed Rosario, even if they moved on from Miles Straw, I don't think he's going to be like, no. oh, you have to trade me now. He hasn't he can because he has no trade clause. He wouldn't be able to pick where he can go. But I don't think that's going to happen. He doesn't doesn't sign here. Doesn't ask for a no trade clause if he didn't believe in what the front office could do. And one real quick point too, you're right about about uh, average on balls at play is that uh, Straw's average exit velocity this year was 87, which is you know about in line with his career norm. So that would suggest that uh, he's capable of rebounding in terms of average on balls in play. Yeah, and it just, I, I didn't only bring up the friendship thing because, like, it gets brought up in every article for a med. So I just wanted to put the counterpoint. We're going to take a break here. We're going to come back and talk about some of the interesting and exciting, honestly, young players in this system. Uh, center field may not get as much hype as some of the other positions, but I know we got one of Justin's favorite players in the system to talk about based on our conversations um, when the mics turn off. So you don't want to tune in to hear him wax poetic about some center fielders on today's Lockdown Guardians. But first, a quick word from our fantastic sponsors. And that was a very quick word from our sponsors. Uh, let's let's not start with your favorite. Let's, let's let me be a jerk. If we're talking center fielders, I think we can probably – skip at least in my opinion right now the triple a double a grouping and maybe we go pd halpin to start not to say you don't like pd halpin i know you like him as well but um i'm curious now who did you think i like now that we're on pd halpin oh. who did you think well i, I was gonna go save for? i was gonna save churio oh we, well we can get there no pd halpin is a cult favorite if you are a reader i know i I, I know but churio <laughs> feels like like maybe your center fielder that's why i was like Maybe yeah, your I'm, guy. Yeah, maybe. I, I'm definitely interested to see how things pan out there. We can start with with Petey Halpin. I mean, first of all, we can talk about other guys that can fill 
fill in for straw. Like there's, you know, there was a whole debate about Quan in center field. And we, we kind of, I think gave our opinions on that. We talked about him in left field. Um, you know, Benson can back up center field. I think we both think that he can handle that if he remains on the roster. Um, but yeah, if you look down the list in, in the organization, the next guy that really pops up is to me is Petey Halpin and uh, Guardians Baseball Insider readers love Petey Halpin. He has become kind of a, a Twitter cult hero. Hey, without Twitter, Petey Halpin might not have a cult following in in Cleveland. But no, I was I really enjoyed watching Petey last season in Lake County. Uh, got better as the year went on as a 20-year-old in high A. You know, a lot of guys often tail off at the end of the year because it's their first full season in pro ball. He didn't start in Lynchburg last year until I want to say June when, when the complex league started up. So last year was his first full season um, and, and a full season league. And a lot of guys do tend to wear down at the end of the year, especially when you're a high school player. So he got better as the year went on, which is a testament to him and, and strength training and just improving great outfield arm, great reads in center field. Um, Good speed on the bases. Definitely a fiery type player. He, he does have some intensity in the dugout, I will say. Um, we'll see where the bat comes along. I think there's some sneaky pop in there. But I think there's a – if there ever was a Grady Sizemore 2.0, if that ever happened, uh, it is the absolutely 100th of 100th percentile outcomes for Petey Halpin. But uh, I don't know. I feel like locked away somewhere in there. If he ever gets to the the highest of his peaks and potentials, maybe, maybe there's a 2020 guy in there in center field. I don't know. That's I know that's that's projecting very high, but that I'm just saying yeah. that's that's the absolute mountaintop for Petey Halpin. If you're watching the video and you saw my face, it's because when he said Grady, Grady Sizemore, I was thinking about like the Grady Sizemore who could hit 40 home runs, and I'm like, ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't quite. But 2020 seems like yeah, I agree. That is something that could yeah. potentially happen. with plus not there yet. center. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he does everything well. Uh, he was one of the last cuts from the 2019 draft for me or 2020 draft in terms of I made like a top 60 that year. And basically my take on him at the time was that he was a uh, the gap between him and Pete Crow Armstrong was not as big as the gap between what they would get paid. I thought he was very similar as a pair of California center fielders. Uh, and all he's done is performed well in the minors and seemed to get better every year. He looks like, I know he's only 20 and in high A, so it seems crazy to make this statement, but he has all the pieces and parts where it seems like it's going to be hard for him to at least not be a backup. We'll see what happens when he gets to double A. Double A is the separator uh, of yep. all, like it's the biggest separator in the minors uh, outside of the majors. Like, you know, it's like the, the this is the one, and it's not to say that I'm expecting him to fall flat, but I'm always curious. I'm always a bit hesitant before double A to really anoint anyone. But uh, he should get there this year, and he's not necessarily a top 10 guy, but he is in that. For me, there's like tier one, tier two, and then tier three is almost 20 deep for this team in terms of how I look at prospects. And he is kind of in that tier three grouping of just interesting players who could potentially be, you know, a top 10 by the end of the year. Uh, should we should we give Will Brennan some time? Uh, we probably oh, yeah. should. It's probably an option for next year. I know I kind of uh, went right past him. Brennan, uh, fascinating player. I, I still love, it's always going to be one of my favorite facts. He was drafted as a, um, a two-way player. He didn't really get a chance to even try that because of the lockout, but he was mentioned as a two-way guy. And uh, 
yeah, I, you know, he had a heck of a year. He had a very uh, Stephen Kwan like rise. Um, but, you know, he, I think there's a chance for an, at least a league average starter there. We'll have to see. I'm not going to, again, sit back and anoint anyone, but your thoughts on Brennan. Yeah, I, I want to say, I mean, I'm sure I know you were as well, but it, it, maybe both of us. Outside of anybody not related to Will Brennan, I feel like there weren't any, but there wasn't anybody higher on Will Brennan than, you know, we were. We could have been like special members members of the Will Brennan family. Uh, I was definitely a big believer. I was convinced after last year, and and more convinced after this season. There's definitely some element of Quan to his game. Definitely does not possess the same contact skill as Quan. There, there is definitely a gap between. Um, Brennan's ability to make consistent contact in the strike zone and Quan's, but it's not, you know, uh, not the same as, you know, him to Nolan Jones, obviously it's still quite, quite good. I don't know. Brennan just does, you know, he's like, like you said, Petey Halpin, he does everything well. He puts the bat on the ball. He can run, he can throw, he can play good defense in the outfit. I'm still very confused as to why they were unsure about his ability to play the right, play right field in the playoffs. Um, I guess just because he hadn't been taking practice out there as much, but you know, he's a, a quality outfielder, no matter where you put him, he has the arm. Cause like Jeff talked about, you know, he pitched in, in college, you know, he's just one of those solid all around guys. I think there will be some questions about um, platoon splits with him. We'll have to find out, you know, those are hard things to really evaluate statistically in the minors. Um, really have to see how he performs, you know, how he looks, but uh the only thing I would be concerned about is, you know, some some aggression. I think uh, he was more aggressive than I thought he was going to be as a hitter, but maybe once he gets his feet under him, that will shift back a little bit. But uh, I don't see any reason why you can't go into the season with him and Gonzalez as your right field tandem, which we'll get into another day, and then have Brennan maybe give you some time in center field when Straw needs a day off. No, agree with all of that. I, you know, I'm kind of saving my my powder, which has turned into all of a sudden an expression. I use way too much uh, on him for more right field. Honestly, I think you know that's that's where his natural um, play will be. Uh, I feel like before we go into Churio, I want to throw another name at you just because he was the same draft class as Halpin and was you know a part of the Lindor trade. Isaiah Green is kind of fascinating, uh, if only for the walk rate. Like he was. He didn't get as big of a bonus as Petey Halpin, but he was drafted before him. He was a little under slot. He's got power. He walks walked twenty percent of the time this year. Um, I, I, he's got power potential. Like he was one of those guys who had above average um, to plus power out of high school was the view. But it, interesting profile. I mean his his runs created plus was great. Well, I said walked twenty percent of the time, struck out twenty four, low average but great on base, maybe getting a little bit slept on to a small degree. But again, he did it at, at kind of a low level, but he, he's an interesting player. The speed's certainly there. Um, I have some concerns about the swing. I'm looking at a, good, a better, I'll get a better look at him this year when he comes to Lake County. Uh, the video feeds in low A are not fantastic, so I'm really not going to try to draw any hard sweeping conclusions there. Uh, the only thing I will say is that I think I mentioned this before. We talked about Jake Fox, who, by the way, Jake Fox also spent quite a bit of time in center field in Lynchburg, too. Um, and it looks like he has a chance to be a guy who can play out there. I don't know if he'll be a regular center fielder, but it looks like he has a chance to play out there and provide some interesting utility. But 
Um, the same as Jay Fox is there. There's some concern of the approach being a little too passive. You know, there's, there's that, there's that fine balance of being patient and passive at the plate. That was an issue with Nolan Jones. And I kind of wonder if, if green is the same way. And other writers have talked about this too. I think Eric Long and hanging a fan graph said is that some teams and maybe, maybe it was even Osiris the athletic, actually, I can't remember which one, someone wrote about it and talked about how teams were purposely telling their players to try to draw walks to, you know, almost be too be, to be passive and, and draw walks to kind of inflate models. You know what I mean? If you have a high walk rate as a teenager or 20 year old in low A, that's going to inflate your value in, in certain teams models and, and maybe even Cleveland. Um, and also low A pitching is just, it's bad. Low A pitching is just horrible. It's not much better than a complex league pitcher. So walk rates in that league are so skeptical to me. I, I think he's like you said, double A's a separator and, um, we'll see how it translates as he moves up, but uh, definitely interesting from a speed and um, defense perspective. Um, and then I just want to pay some lip service to uh, Chase DeLouder. I don't think it's going to stay in center. I know he played that in college. Joe Lampe, I'm not as high on as the Guardians, but the Guardians clearly view him uh, as their next Brandon Quan type. Like with the money they paid him and some of the things they said, uh, I don't have a whole, you know, I get con- I, I get concerned with Arizona and Arizona state hitters, the transition has been very poor, uh, but they clearly see that. So I'll be curious to see now I'm going to just, I'm going to mute my mic. It's Cheerio time. Oh, before we get to Cheerio, I actually wanted to ask you, you mentioned uh, DeLauder and Joe Lampy. Do you think there's any possibility of Guy Lipscomb playing in center field? I maybe he's athletic. I don't have a ton, ton on him. If I'm honest, um, you know, he was the very small school guy. And like, I had kind of like a pass. I, my passing knowledge of him was like great stats, good athleticism. Like, I think he could play there, but I also, I don't know, like guy lips to come in. Like, I don't, my projection, like if I were to, someone's like put grades on him, I'd say, no, I go, I, I'm not equipped to give him grades right now. It's like, I just, I got stat lines and I got some base scouting reports, but I'm kind of weak based on the athletic profile, I think conceivably, but I also think center field is a lot harder to learn than we sometimes give uh, it credit for. I think the guardians also know that that's why they targeted straw and you want a guy who makes good reads, has good jumps and has a natural instinct. So maybe he's got a natural instinct and they can put him there, but for some guys uh, it's just not going to work. Yeah. And I will also will point out before I get into my Jason Churio tangent, uh, well, Fredo Antunia is probably another guy that is not worth is worth not ignoring coming into 2022 as well. But uh, no, I, I am super excited for Jason Churio. If, if you have followed um, the Brewers at all, or just follow prospects on Twitter, his older brother Jackson. I, I say older. I think Jackson is all of what 18 years old. Um, he made it to Double A this season. He started the season in Low A, tore his way through Low A and High A, and ended up the season Double A. Now he is starting down in the Venezuelan Winter League. Uh, Jason is down there with them. He's mostly been a defensive sub, but Jason is not even 18 yet. And I don't want to steal Jeff's uh, research on younger brothers, but uh, if Jackson's rise this season is any indication and the track record that younger brothers have in terms of uh, bloodlines and athletic and, and playing baseball, especially, you know, we see with, with Josh and Bo Naylor and Sandy and Robbie Alomar. Um, among other positions, but um, I really am interested to see what Jason does stateside. I mean, complex league stats are crap. Don't when you if you scout. A, I, I highly 
I highly recommend not scouting the stat line. Um, it's good to look at, and I should say, don't only scout the stat line. You have to have some some context to go along with it. But if you want to, considering this very little video of Jason floating around out there right now because he's playing the DR, um, if you just scout the stat line, it is super exciting for a guy his age and the track record of his brother. I don't know. I think he's a switch hitter who everyone thinks can stay in center field and. I don't know if we'll have the power his brother has, but I think there's, uh, you know, the makings in there of a potential next next star for Cleveland. But uh, that, there's a whole lot of risk given his age and, and where he's at in his development. But I know Cleveland's excited about him. They are very excited about him. That's right, because I'm muted for uh, like He's one of those guys that, A, is almost, like, untouchable because I, I, you don't want to do the risk, and, B, uh, I'm like – do I find a slot for him in the top 10? No, I can't. Like my general rule is I'm never putting anyone in who I haven't like seen in person or had extensive scouting experience on below high a, let alone in rookie ball, but he's he, fascinating player. Someone that fans definitely should know about. Um, I think we have covered center field in depth. I think we have uh, covered it corner to corner, talked about why it is such an interesting position for this organization. And I guess that's kind of the big takeaway. Like, Miles Straw won the gold glove. He was awesome. If he gets back to where he was, he's a four-win player, and he's a perfect ninth-hole hitter. He is ideal for that role. If he doesn't, guess what? They've got about five guys deep that are all charging up to the minors. So don't also stress about the position because if it's not him, it's Brennan. If it's not him, it's Halpin. If it's not him, I mean, there are so many guys that it's going to, if you give everyone an opportunity, someone's going to be the answer. Uh, any final thoughts before we wrap this one up and put it to bed? No, that's a that's a great way to end it because think of how many how many years that center field was an absolute massive black hole for this team. Uh, Tyler Naquin and and Rajay Davis. Not that Davis didn't give us one of the best moments in Cleveland history, but um, from Grady Sizemore to now, like Grady Sizemore's decline, unfortunately, to now center field was an absolute albatross for them. I mean, Lonnie Chisholm was playing center field for them at times. They put Jason Kipnis in center field. I know. Bradley's ever was heard at the Michael at that. Martinez. Come on down. Yeah, there's just so many. I mean, they signed Michael Bourne. That was a disaster. Center field has been a disaster for this organization. They drew stubs. Like I could name the ghosts of Christmas past in the center field for an hour. We don't have time for it. But um, if you're not, you're not liking Miles straw. Don't forget to look back at Cleveland center field. This is, uh, this is definitely a step up from the baloney they put out there before. hundred percent. And, Let's wrap this one up before we get to 40 minutes and before I get another angry email. So uh, I want to thank everyone for listening, rating and reviewing, downloading. It helps. We are staying in the top 100 podcast on Chartable, which is the way I track and see. We're at 886 subscribers. So we gained one in the overnight. So thank you to that person. And let's end this one the way we always do. Go, go, Guardians, go.